Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sort of My Podcast. My name is Vincent Herman, Vin the Human, and today I am doing sort of our solo, a Star Wars story review uh, solo. But before we get into that, like our nerd news page, Sort of My Comics, on Facebook, and follow Sort of My Podcast on Instagram. Check out Subject to Change Entertainment on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to those channels on YouTube and SoundCloud. You're checking this out somewhere. While here, why not like, comment, and of course share? Sharing is the best way to get us out in front of people. And all of our personal social media is down in the description below. Thank you very much for joining me for this episode that has been quite a task to get done. You would think that you could just sit down in front of a microphone after watching a movie and that'd be it. But trust me, there has been a lot more, not even on a professional side of things that has gone into this. But I'm not going to bore you with that crap because we're here to talk about Star Wars. Star Wars, one of my favorite things ever. When people ask me what my favorite movie is, it is Die Hard, and then Star Wars. All of it. The whole thing. This time around, though, this movie was actually not high on my ticket. I I couldn't have been less excited for this film. Uh, maybe unfairly fueled by uh, Alden Ehrenreich, but... Really, it just it wasn't something that I was clamoring for or looked very good to me. And I was worried up until about a week ago from this recording when I was watching the Star Wars show. And I, I can't even remember one thing in particular that they did that got this reaction out of me. But then all of a sudden, I'm excited for Solo a Star Wars story. And so I finally got to see that. So we're going to go ahead and do spoiler-free first. And then later... There's going to be a spoiler warning, and if you stay after that, that is your own fucking fault. There is a time code down below, so you can check and be like, okay, well, once we come up on this minute, it's time to bail out of here. And really, there's going to be a lot of facilities at your disposal to know, hey, I gotta bail, I gotta get out of this thing, I haven't seen the movie yet, or I just really don't want to hear this guy talk anymore, and that is your cue. If you don't do it then, then you know, that's your fault, don't send me any comments, I don't give a fuck. Alright, so let's do this. <laughs> First and foremost, I think we should probably talk about the story, it's the easiest thing to get out of the way. The story, and not in a bad way, is more or less cut and dry. You, you kind of know what you're going to get in this, because, uh, one, because of the rumor mill and people's assumptions and, and predictions and all of that stuff, like your Castle Run and how Han and Chewie meet and everything, uh, which, again, you know, it's not so much about the A to B, it's about how we get there, and... That is where the story really comes to life in this. It is a heist movie. It is a who-can-I-trust kind of movie. I don't know exactly what to, to compare that to, uh, maybe because I'm awful at this, but it's a really well-told story. And honestly, I don't think you're going to find yourself going like, oh, well, wait, how, how can this be a thing? If in episode 7, this is a thing, or if in episode 5, this is a thing. You know, you're not really going to be finding many continuity plot holes in this. And that's at least a relieving thing, especially given the trend with Star Wars movies anymore, where people just love to tear them the fuck down because of any simple, tiny little thing. But I don't feel like people are going to be doing that too much with this, other than maybe going as far as to say, like, eh, some of the moments in this are too derivative of things that happen later in the series. And I'd somewhat agree with you. There, there were one or two times when it was laid on a little thick. But then again, there are other ones that come up that feel natural. Like, okay, I can buy that this would be a thing that he would do later on because it's now ingrained in him or maybe it's something he's been doing this whole time even before Solo. So it's really not so bothersome. Uh, now let's go ahead and talk about characters. I'm not going to go into every single character, but there are some that I want to talk about specifically. One, starting with maybe Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany's Dryden Voss is a fun villain. 
He runs the gambit of calm, cool, and collected and about to rip your fucking head off in almost every scene that he's in. You're really not going to be able to tell what this guy is going to do from one minute to the next. And he's, uh, there are moments when you're like, okay, I know that he's about to pull this on them. But then what he does with this character is he goes through a roller coaster of shit before he gets to that moment. And it makes you question, okay, well, I thought this was about to happen, but maybe he's about to pull something else here. And you also had Phoebe Waller Ridge playing L373. Nope, L337, and uh, that was a really interesting character, brand new droid for the Star Wars franchise, Lando Calrissian's co-pilot, and if you're not familiar with what this droid is about, she is a self-evolving, upgrading, advanced AI, and she she is like nothing else we've ever seen from the Star Wars franchise. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail later, but she was very entertaining. She, I've seen some articles rolling around saying that she's the most woke droid in the Star Wars franchise, and I thought that was kind of funny because she totally is. There's even a line about equality in there. Uh, I, I don't know, but again, we'll talk about that more later. Uh, Kira is a really fantastically portrayed character. Uh, I mean, you got Amelia Clark in there doing that role, and although I've only seen her in Game of Thrones, I don't, I don't need much more to know that this chick is fantastic, and she just nailed it with this one. Woody Harrelson is... Woody Harrelson. <laughs> he's, I don't know if he's capable of pulling off anything else. I mean, there are degrees of Harrelson, uh, like, you know, natural-born killers Harrelson is out there, and uh, maybe Zombieland Woody Harrelson is a little sporadic, comparatively, but he's Woody Harrelson in space. Uh, Let's see here, Donald, uh, well, yeah, let's talk about Donald Glover. Donald Glover was probably my favorite character in this whole movie, Lando Calrissian, He just nailed the cadence. He is everything you would have wanted him to be. Uh, I don't see any room for growth uh, in the acting ability to to portray Lando. He just did. I mean, Billy D. Williams has got to be astounded by this. He just, he got it. He he nailed it. Juna Sutamo, he, Chewbacca, He is in the movie a lot more than Chewbacca has ever been in any other film. They really made him a co-star rather than a supporting character. And wow, we have been missing out. Especially with how great he does this role. Uh, Seamlessly moving from Peter Mayhew to Junas is just... you, You couldn't tell. You, you really couldn't tell. He he knows this character inside and out. Uh, he should since he's inside the costume. That stupid joke. And that finally brings us to Alden Ehrenreich, who, like I said, he was the guy I was worried about. He was the one I really, I was like, oh my god, why why this guy? Why do we have to be stuck with him? And really, honestly, the worst part about his performance is. Uh, Three things. It's threefold. It's one, he doesn't look like Harrison Ford. So, you know, forgivable, fine, whatever. We weren't going to get that. And that's, you can totally get over that. His voice is, sometimes he's doing this deeper voice that you, you can kind of compare to Han Solo, Harrison Ford, but... It's still just not there. And then there are moments, there's a moment in the film when he's screaming at the top of his lungs and it's just such a high pitch. You don't want to come from Han Solo. And then that weird smile. I think he thinks he's nailing something that Harrison Ford does with this squinted smile. But again, it's his face compared to Harrison Ford's. And I can... I can pretty much see where that smile is coming from with, like, Return of the Jedi. Uh, there's that shrug smile he does, and uh, that's, a, that's a great, like, that should bring it right forefront to your mind, what I'm talking about. 
But it's it's just, again, it's Alden's face. He just does not portray that the same way. And it's a little frustrating. But beyond that, once you get past the first two things, and the smile is kind of all throughout the movie, so it, you're not going to get over that. But once you get past the first two things, his performance is very comparable to Chris Pine's in the new Star Trek franchise, where in which you see shades of William Shatner. You can see a glint come out here. You can see a moment happen there when he is just on, and he is James T. Kirk. And then he he cycles back into his portrayal of the character, and it's seamless. Well, Alden Ehrenreich does the same thing here with Han Solo, and I am blown away how much I enjoyed him in this role. Again, I don't think we were ever going to get a carbon copy of Han Solo. I know it, there was no way we were ever going to get Harrison Ford in dots. DH, and I don't think we want that for an entire movie. I, I, the technology is not there yet. But with what he did here, the mannerisms he he picked up and are just pure solo, the attitude in how smug he is, his back and forths with Chewie are just perfect. He really did a great job with this role. And uh, yeah, there are one or two moments in there where you may, might go, I don't know if Han would say that. But they're so few, far apart, and arguable that it just does not hurt him at all. And I'm really happy with him. I am excited because if you didn't hear the news, uh, Alden Ehrenreich let it slip that there were two other roles, two other movies in his contract. That, and while that doesn't necessarily mean there will absolutely be a film sequel to this, uh, given that the characters from Rogue One were all signed on for three movies also, and we kind of saw how that went, is still, if there is a possibility of a film sequel to this, I, I am down. I want to see it. I, I want to see all of these characters return and there are so many other ones that i haven't brought up yet uh fatty newton as val uh john favreau's rhea durant uh nest uh, which is Ari Kel aaron kellyman all great supporting characters nobody ever really took me out of the film there was one moment in the beginning where, with a draw a joke with a droid getting destroyed I, it just felt flat. I didn't care. One one person in the theater laughed, and I, I'm sure they felt like an idiot afterwards. Uh, that's not even like a... I, I couldn't even give you a name to that. It's, you know, and that's just how well played out this, this film was. The visuals are really good in this as well. Overall, I just... I really enjoyed this movie. I, I enjoyed all the places it takes us. I enjoyed all the references it makes, all the like holes it fills. Maybe not holes, but just blanks it fills. Like it's like I did the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. Yeah, well, I've never seen that. Can I see that? Oh, here it is, and it does that so well. I really, honestly, I don't know what more I can say about this without giving it away, I, I can say go see it. I know it's not performing well at the box office right now. I mean, it just came out, uh, and I'm hoping word gets around. I hope that if you haven't seen it yet and you've heard this, this has inspired you to go see it. Maybe think, okay, well, yeah, maybe I'll give it a try, because I rolled my eyes, too, when I saw the early reviews. I was like, no, there's no way, because I saw it all over Twitter, over Facebook, it, all these reviews popping up, just praising this film, and I was like, no, nah, no, there's no way, this is just early hype bullshit, maybe some of these guys are on the take, and I'm not, I'm not usually one to go, like, what did Disney pay you to say that, but I mean, it's not an impossibility, and, you know, nah, it's probably not happening, but either way, I, I, I agree, it, it was good, it was really, really good, uh, I'm, I may very well go see it again, I, I even after leaving the theater, I was thinking maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I'll just wait because I know I'm gonna buy the Blu-ray. I know I'm gonna drop the thirty, thirty-five dollars on it, and then a special edition will come out, and I'll buy that. So I thought maybe maybe save on the second viewing, but I may have to go do it. I may have to just do it. 
and you should too. And that's going to go ahead and lead us into spoilers. So, spoilers! It's spoiler time, everybody. We are going to talk about some detailed stuff in this movie. There's going to be some stuff I'm going to forget, so I am sorry if you have seen the the film and you're going like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, he skipped over this thing. I just saw the movie. I've only seen it once. You know, you know how you get swept away with things, so give me a fucking break. But anyways, I want to talk about uh, I'm going to do this a little differently. We, we never really uh, go beat by beat, and that's usually because there's a discussion thing, and we, we usually just geek out. And so I'm going to start from the beginning of the film and geek out all throughout it. And so this movie starts out, as best as I remember, it starts out, first of all, the again, no title crawl, which is uh, the theme of these Star Wars story movies, but instead it has title cards that kind of give you an idea what's what's going on and what we're walking into. And we open to, I think it's Han Solo fleeing somebody. Yes, he's fleeing somebody, he's stolen a speeder, and he ends up picking up Kira, Amelia Clark, and uh, they, they end up getting caught after this big, awesome chase scene, two different types of speeders. It's actually really cool the way that they did it. And one of the first references we get, boom, he's got the dice. And apparently these are his lucky dice. He carries them everywhere. He puts them in every ship that he has. And this speeder is no different. So they eventually get caught. They get brought to, uh, what, 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 what was her name? Proxima something. Lady Proxima. Lady Proxima. And she's like, hey, you were supposed to steal this thing for me. What the fuck? And he was like, oh, well, you know, I left you something valuable. I left him my life. I think that's pretty important to me. Uh, they're about to kill him. He pulls out a rock, which he is calling a thermal detonator, which gives Kira time to grab a pistol and shoot the, the ceiling. And uh, that lets the light in. Apparently, a lot of these creatures burn up in the light. Uh, Proxima herself being some sort of vampiric water worm thing. I don't know, but it was real awesome to look at. And they bail. They get out of there. And the whole thing that they're trying to do is because what they were supposed to steal, uh, I'm pretty sure it was, was this very rare fuel called coaxium. And it is highly expensive, highly sought after, and what they want to do is they want to use it to barter their way through the Imperial Gate so that they can get off the world and go live their lives together. And they end up at the gate wanting to barter their way in, and they do, and before they can both get through the gate, Han's already crossed, the goons grab Kira, and the fucking shields go down, and the person they just bribed calls it in. She's like, get, hey, we got a breach. Get the fuck over here. We gotta get this asshole. So he, he starts ducking through the crowd, grabbing this cloak, grabbing this hat. He's hiding out. And then he sees a recruitment advertisement for the Empire, which apparently makes the uh, Imperial March theme Star Wars canon because it's playing in the advertisement. A, a version of it is playing in the advertisement. It's actually really, really entertaining. But... He goes over to the recruitment desk. He's like, sign me up. I want to be a pilot, blah, blah, blah. He's like, look, you're probably going to end up in infantry. And he's like, nah, fuck you, man. I'm going to be a pilot. And so they're signing him up. Oh, and this is something I, I know a lot of people are going to hate this. And I see where it's kind of pointless. Like, why did you have to? It doesn't matter. Just, just make it his name. But he's signing up and they ask him his name. And he says, Han, and they're like, what, you know, group do you, what family do you belong to, blah, 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 or something. Like, there's some sort of, like, Kryptonian-esque family status type thing here. I don't know. But he says, uh, I don't have anyone. And so the Imperial officer gives him one, and he, he gives him the name Solo. And so that's the origins of the solo name. Who gives a fuck? But I, I thought it was interesting. I, it, it doesn't matter one way or the other. It really doesn't. It's not worth getting pissed off over. And, you know, it's harmless. So we move on. Three years later, we see that Han is in the infantry, uh, which we later find out he got kicked out of the Imperial Academy for having a mind of his own. 
So that's why they busted him down to this trooper grunt. And I gotta say, these troopers, these battle troopers, I don't know what you would call them, but their war armor is fucking awesome. It's really cool the way that they, they dress these guys up. But anyways, his lieutenant gets killed, and the attention turns to Woody Harrelson, who's there on the battlefield with him, a couple people with him, and he's like, who's in charge? And they're like, you are, Captain, and he looks out, oh yeah, that's my insignia. Obviously, there's something up with this dude. And so he's like, look, it's over this ridge, you guys want to live, blah, blah, blah. And they're all like, well, no, they had us fighting this way, he's like, you go that way, you're gonna die, come on. And... So they all follow him, battle dies down, apparently he gets what he wanted or something, and Han won't stop bothering him until eventually he notices them eyeballing the ship, and he walks up, and he's talking to him, blah, blah, hey, what's going on? And he reveals he knows something's up, he could tell, he could tell that this guy is a, a played by John Favreau's voice, is some sort of four-armed monkey dude. He basically blackmails them. He's like, take me with you, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to be here, blah, blah, blah. And so they turn on him. They tell him, look, hey, we got, we got a deserter over here. You need to take him in. And they get Han locked up. So they're taking Han away. Woody Harrelson's making us get away. Han's yelling, don't leave without me. They throw him in the pit with what they call the beast. And so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, Oh my god, no. Are they about to do the Rancor? Because I don't I don't think Han can beat a Rancor. Not, no matter how lucky he is. Are they going to do the Rancor? Uh, because the scene is kind of set up like that. It, it's a little reminiscent. But luckily, no, that is not the case. Because the Beast is Chewbacca himself. And this is how they first meet. Chewbacca comes out. He's beating the shit out of Han, but before Han finally starts firing off a few... I can't do it. I cannot do Wookiee speak at all. I apologize for that. I'm sure I've offended almost every member of that species, and I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but Alden Ehrenreich, however, is actually really entertainingly good at it. And this is another one of those moments where I feel like people are going to start attacking this film. And again, I haven't seen anyone attacking anything in this yet, but this is one of those moments where I feel like people are going to get pissed off. And it's maybe because of the, uh, how would you say, the accent, the dialect? I don't know. It doesn't sound exactly like a Wookiee. What it sounds like is a human-speaking... Wookie, like how when Americans learn a new language, a lot of the time we won't exactly nail how to use it, the inflictions and the the subtleties of the language, and sometimes that'll get pointed out to us, like like maybe we're speaking French and a Frenchman hears it and is like, actually, this is the the infliction here, or whatever. You get what I mean. But that is what this sounds like, and that's why it's so entertaining, because it's like it's a rushed thing where I guess Han Solo knows a little bit of what he doesn't he's not even fully fluent in the language, I guess. Which later comes up, and I can't remember exactly what scene or why they're doing it, but he's translating what Chewie says, and he says something about I don't know if he said clan or family or group or something like that. But that alludes to maybe Chewie has a family. Uh but anyways they end up making friends after that he shows them how they can get out of there they end up breaking out they're chasing down the ship to catch up and woody harrelson is like you know what i like this kid let's turn around let's grab him so they're off on their adventure uh they're gonna go pull off the train heist that we saw from the trailer and they're pulling this train heist off and then the pirate uh, cloud riders the cloud riders show up and start fucking things up they're, they're breaking on to woody harrelson's ship end up shooting john favreau's character fuck i should really learn these guys' names uh beckett and rio that's right beckett and rio they end up shooting rio he's going down so han has to to get back on the ship and help out because he's pilot and after a lot of trouble, they end up getting this car free, which is full of this coaxium, this this rare, expensive fuel. Maybe not rare. I don't know if it's rare, but it's definitely expensive uh, and a definite plot point in this whole thing. Maybe plot device, I don't know. 
But they, they get it free, and they're kind of in a tug of war with these uh, swoop bikes that the... Uh, is it swoop bikes? I think it's swoop bikes. I think that's what they're called. These swoop bikes that the Cloud Raiders are riding and their ship and stuff. And they're heading right towards a mountain. Han has to make a decision. And Woody Harrelson's like, hey... Uh, Beckett's like, hey, don't drop our payload. They're going to give up. They're, they're going to cower out. Don't worry about it. And Han, in Han fashion, drops the, the cargo. And the Cloud Riders end up dropping it as well. And it all just explodes. They all did it for nothing. Uh, now, oh, and I should mention... Uh, <laughs> In between all this, we we got the scene with the blaster and stuff, the whole campfire scene or whatever. Uh, but whatever. But I should also mention Thaddy Newton's character, Val, because this is, a, this is a character I thought was going to be Sana from the comics, who later on goes on to be fake married with Han and stuff. Uh, but no, that is not the case. That is who I thought this character was. But I guess Thaddy Newton plays Beckett's girlfriend, Val. And she ends up sacrificing herself on the bridge so they can get away. Uh, so we've already lost two characters. Like, right here in the beginning of the film. Which makes me feel like they're a little pointless. But then again, permadeath in, in Star Wars universe has never been a thing that's been shied away from. So anyways... Now they've gotten to a safe landing point, and Beckett ends up hitting Han. He's like, you stupid son of a bitch, you know what you've done, blah, blah, blah. Not in those words, but anyways, he's like, now nah, I gotta go talk to this guy, and trust me, this guy is not friendly. And he's talking about Dryden Boss, uh, Paul Bettany's character. And Han's like, let me go with you, blah, blah, blah. After a little back and forth, they all decide to go see Dryden. They they show up to this place, and there's a party going on. And it turns out, Kira, who he hasn't seen in three years, is at this party. And apparently she is working for this Crimson Dawn that we that I think Beckett had mentioned earlier to Han before they decided to come here. So they end up sitting down with Dryden, who's got Kira on his arm or something like that they're sitting next to each other it's real chummy and they're never really clear in this whole film whether those two are banging or whatever but they're sitting there and they're telling them what happened and dryan's like look i can't trust you blah blah, blah. like you failed me before you failed me now uh beckett's like let me prove it to you he's like nah i'm just gonna fucking kill you guys before han is like hey look here's another option and you don't have to kill us uh, you're not going to betray anyone because Dryden's like, nah, look, these people run that place. I don't want to piss them off. He's like, nah, you're not going to piss them off because guess what? We don't, nobody knows that we work for you. So let's just do the job. Dryden decides to give him another chance. He's sending Kira with him. He's like, look, she's going to keep an eye on you guys so you don't fuck this up again. And, uh, you know, don't fuck this up again or I'm going to kill you. Let's party. And then... <laughs> So at this point, all they need is a ship, which leads them to Lando Calrissian through one way or another. And Lando's sitting there, and he's playing Sebek, uh, the card game we've always heard about that Han had won to get the Millennium Falcon off of Lando. And so Han decides, like, I got this. I've played Sebek a little bit. I know how the tricks work and all of that. And he sits down and he lies about this ship, this awesome ship that he's driving. Lando tells him about his ship, the Millennium Falcon shit, and they're comparing dicks. And then they're like, well, let's just fucking play some cards. So they're playing, and apparently Han's doing real well. Some of the other creatures around the table get pissed off, throwing their cards down, they're done. It's basically like a poker game. And we get down to the final hand, and the ships are on the line. The uh, <laughs> one fake one legendary <laughs> so han's got this killer hand he drops it down he's all cocky he's like look i got the i got a royal sebec <laughs> and uh full sebec and lando's like oh shit you played me and then he drops his hand and he's got a fucking royal sebec or whatever the hell and he's like fucking one and so they end up at the bar, and he's like, look, I want my ship. 
And he's like, yeah, well, that ship doesn't exist. And then he sees Beckett in the back. He's like, Beckett, what the fuck? What are you up to, man? They make a deal. He's like, hey, look, you, you want to help us out with this thing? We'll give you 25% of the take and whatever. And just come on and help us. So he helps them out. And so now we're on the Millennium Falcon. We met L3, blah, blah, blah. She's trying to shake up some sort of uh, droid fighting ring or whatever. Get pissed off. And they, and they bounce. And so we spend some time on the ship with Han and Kira reconnecting. There's a makeout scene in the cape room, because uh, there's a cape room now. And it's really reminiscent of Empire Strikes Back. This is one of those moments where I was like, do we need this? Does it have to be here? Does it have to be like this? Like, this, this isn't called forward to empire if anything it kind of devalues what happens in the cargo hold of empire because it's, it's just too similar it's like oh shit hans pulled this fucking stuff before uh here and apparently there's 10 years that separate this and a new hope so like how many other people have you brought into a small space in the falcon and then fucking macked on him you know so that yeah, was kind of bothersome but anyways we end up Oh, there's one other thing that happened on this ship that, that I felt like didn't fucking matter. People were making this big deal about Lando being pansexual, which a lot of the time, like, look, inclusion is great, but it it doesn't have to be explicitly outlined just to say that it's there. Just, And I would think people would be a little more pissed off in situations like this where... It's made a big deal. This character's gay. This character's transsexual. This character is whatever have you. And then it doesn't matter. It's just a one note. Hey, let's outline this thing real quick for no reason. And then we're not going to reference it ever again in the film. It's just going to be a thing that's there to get butts in the seats. And what, what should be offensive about that is that they're only putting it in there to make you happy so you'll pay for a ticket. It's not a part of the story. And this whole pansexual thing comes into play here. Because up until this point, we've had no moment where it seems like Lando wants... And then there's this conversation between L3 and Kira where they're like talking about how uh, L3 is going on about how she she knows that Kira has a thing for Han and L3 is like I think Lando has a thing for me but I I think he's in love with me but I don't feel that way about him and then there was kind of a funny thing where Kira's like how would that work and L3 is like it works <laughs> I don't I don't know specifically what that means, but I'm entertained and intrigued by it. But then that's it. Uh, there's a moment later where Lando gets really upset about what happens to L3. She dies. Uh, you know, spoilers for later, but we're already in spoilers. So fuck it. But that that just means that he has an emotional connection. You know, their, their characters have connections to C3PO and R2D2. So this whole pansexual thing really just to get people's ticket money and to have that one funny line and that that seems a little devalued i don't know it seems distracting from what's going on and ultimately in this context in this film of all the events that play out because i don't want to be misquoted here uh who cares you know if it were a part of the story i would love it if it were integral but it's just nothing it's just nothing so who cares whatever moving on past that they're going to kessel that's where this big job is that's where this whole store of pure coaxium is and they're going to take it to this other planet to get it refined but they're on a timetable and so they get down there they get to the coaxium mines and they infiltrate, they, they've dressed up as like some of the slave owners or mine guards or whatever. And they're infiltrating the place as if Chewie is a prisoner, which again, you know, shades of the original trilogy. But they get in there, Chewie sees that these Wookiees are getting beat. And he's like, oh no, fuck that, I gotta do something. And Han's like, come on, we gotta do this thing where, you know, time is of the essence, we have to get this done. And Chewie's like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to do something here. And Han's like, well, I got to do my thing, but 
And he, it looks like he's about to bail. He's like, you know, you do you. But he turns back around, and this is the first moment where we get this, like, okay, Han's a good guy. And we know this by now from all the shit that he's done over the years that we've seen in these other films. But this is early Han. This is Han trying to be a bad guy. This is Han trying to be a rogue, a scoundrel. And this is the first moment we see where he's like, okay, well, you know, all right, here, take my weapon. Take my means of defending myself, and you go help your people. So they split up, and he's like, I hope you see uh, to see you again, blah, blah, blah. They split up, and while all this shit's going down, L3 is up in the control room setting forth a riot, because she has... They end up killing the guards that are in that room because negotiations go south, or they see through their bullshit. And so they kill all the guards, and L3 ends up setting all the droids free, who are now busting up the panels and shit, and letting all the slaves free. And now it's total anarchy. Everything's running wild. People are killing their masters and, and all this shit. They get what they need, they get out. L3 is having a fucking blast. She's like, I'm so glad we took this job. You probably saw that in the trailer. She's, she's found her calling. She knows what she wants to do with her sentience now. Uh, dare I say, life. Uh, it's a whole other deep topic. Robots, lives, whatever. And so they're in the middle of this firefight, trying to get back to the Falcon. And L3 ends up getting nailed. And this pisses off Lando, who's not about to leave her. So Lando jumps into action. Untypical behavior for Lando. Lando jumps into action to go grab L3. And Han's like, Fuck, alright, well, and here's moment number two. He's like, okay, well, fuck, I gotta help him. And now, now he's covering Lando, Lando's coming back, they get back in the ship, and L3 ends up dying right there in Lando's arms. And they're, they're taking off, and they're going through the Kessel Run, and they're like, look, we gotta do this in this much time, but this is gonna take 20-some-odd parsecs, and we don't have that kind of time and shit. And this was one of the really interesting things, because all this time, everyone's been like, Parsec is actually this thing instead of a unit of time. And the way they portray it in this is, yeah, that's how it is in the Star Wars universe. This movie fixed the whole par uh, Parsec conundrum. Not necessarily that they had to, because it is my personal belief that space in Star Wars works differently. And I've, I've heard this theory that there is, like... In the Star Wars universe, there's a certain amount of air in space, which is why explosions can happen and you can hear noises and shit, which also helps the whole Leia, Last Jedi theory. But they went out of their way to fix this little thing that most of us have gotten over. Nobody fucking cares. It's science fiction or whatever. And so they're gonna try they're gonna try something to get through there. Before they noticed, holy fuck, there's a Star Destroyer coming down. They must have been called in because someone's attacking the mines or something. You know, the shit's going down down there, so they're coming to check it out. And they're like, well, what can we do? And Han spots this little duct, this little shortcut area. And he's like, let's go through there. And they're like, well, this, this, and this. And he's like, I don't fucking see any other options. And they decide to go in uh, because at this point, it's Han and Chewie in the driver's seat. Lando's in the back with L3. And they're like, well, how are we going to navigate it? And Lando's like, well, L3 always navigated all their jumps and stuff. He's like, give me a moment. We're going to go do this thing. And he ends up getting the uh, the navigation thing. They they plug her into the ship, which is also another, another thing that, that, and this is just a theory, but like I've said, L3 talks... Or no, I don't, I don't even think I said this. L3 talks very distinctly. She's unlike any other droid we've ever seen before. Not just because she's self-upgrading, but her AI is just so advanced. She's the most woke droid in the Star Wars galaxy. So later, I, and I, I think it, maybe A New Hope, maybe it's... Uh, I think it's A New Hope. And they're having C-3PO communicate with the ship's computer... And C-3PO says that line, something along the lines of, like, uh, I don't know where your ship learned to communicate, but it is the most peculiar dialect. And, oh my god, so that might have been L3 this whole time that C-3PO was talking to, and maybe that's why it's got a peculiar dialect. It's just, uh, it's just so awesome to think about how that shit ties together. It's so cool. 
But anyways, they get L3 fed into the computer, which is where she'll stay for the rest of the time of the ship. Uh, they plot out the course. And so they're, they're going through this shortcut when all of a sudden space octopus monster shows up and it's chasing them into this red hole. And you heard me right. Red hole. It's basically a black hole, but it looks kind of more destructive. And how, how can you be more destructive than a black hole? But we don't really know much about the black hole. Anyways, that's a rabbit hole. We're not going to go down. They get chased towards this thing, and they get the idea, like, how the fuck are we going to get away from this thing? And Han's like, I got an idea. He shoots the escape pod into the red hole. And this catches the monster's attention. The monster starts going towards it. And you might, might be wondering, escape pod, that's what that fucking thing on the front is. That's why that space is missing in all these subsequent movies that happen after these events. That That is what that was. Was the es- escape pod. And they threw it into a red hole. So there's another little call forward to you. Like oh that's why that's a thing. And so they're starting to get away. But the monster's not giving up. It's whacking the ship. It's taking things off. We lose the fucking satellite again. Or I guess for the first time maybe. Uh, <laughs> however you want to look at that. Like how okay, how are we gonna get away? And Han's like, Oh shit, okay, use the coaxum, put it in this thing, and a bunch of other science mumbo jumbo that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. And they drip the stuff, they do the thing, they make the big fucking getaway, and it is it is just awesome. It's a very tense scene. And, and you know, of course you know, yes, Han, Chewie, and Falcon and all them, they all make it out. They're gonna live here. But that's not that's not why you watch these fucking movies. You know, you watch it to get involved, get involved in the story because guess what? The characters don't know that they're gonna live. And so put yourself in their shoes, live with those characters for a little while, and you'll be like, fuck yeah, oh my god, that was so close. And it was. It it felt very close. It felt very well done. So they make their their getaway to this other planet. And they show up and like, hey, blah, 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 we need the stuff done. And the fucking Cloud Riders showed up. But it turns out the Cloud Riders are not bad guys. In fact, they are the early remnants of the fucking rebellion. And they want this coaxum not to sell it off. Because again, it is very, very expensive not to sell it off. But instead, to use it to help the rebellion. And so Han looks around, he sees these people, and he hears their stories and stuff. And again, the good guy's kicking in, and he's like, fuck, we gotta help them. Like, you know, we're gonna help them. And so Kira's on board, Chewie's on board, Woody Harrelson, not on board. Beckett doesn't want anything to do with him. And so he's about to bail. He's like, look, you know, I can still live. I can still go to this place. I heard about this gangster who's got a a sweet... Job on the line, obviously talking about Jabba. So he books it. So they put together this whole plan. They they go in to talk to Dryden, pull the wool over his eyes, like, we'll just take our money and go. And he's like, no, 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 no. Show me your shit. And he pulls it out and he was like, okay, well, and it turns out there's something in those crates. And he's like, I want to see it. Bring it over to me. And he brings it over to him and Dryden's like, man, this looks so good. It almost looks like the real thing. It's like, I know you're pulling one over on me, and here's how I know. And boom, Beckett comes out of a side door. He's like, sorry, kid. You know, I told you never to trust anyone, but, you know, you didn't listen to me. And on starts smirking. He's like, you know what? You were right, but I did pay attention to one thing. And earlier in the movie, when Beckett and Chewie are playing uh, hollow chest, he tells him, he's like, look, you gotta anticipate your opponent's moves. And fucking Han flips that back on him. He's like, you gotta anticipate your opponent's moves. And I knew you'd screw me over. So, and he lays out this, like, you can do this. Look at how many people are in this room. We can kill all of them. It's no fucking problem. So Beckett ends up killing all the guards. He's like, look, you know, you're not a part of this. I'm taking Chewie. We're gonna get the fuck out of here. And so he takes Chewie hostage. He takes all the coaxum. He's like, he's getting out. And so this leads to a big three-way showdown between Kira, who is, holy shit, is a badass, 
uh, who is using, oh God, what is, what is the fighting style? I know it was um, Masters of, no, no, not, not Catan. That's a whole other uh, thing. Um, something boss, maybe? I don't, no, I'm thinking of Dryden's last name. Anyways, I know it is a fighting style we have seen before in the Star Wars universe, and there was even a fighting video game for it. But anyways, apparently she, Kira, knows this fighting style, and she uses it in this three-way showdown between Han, herself, and Dryden. And I, I love one thing in particular about this fight, and that is the way Han Solo fights in it. They could have, like, easily made the stupid decision of making him some sort of, like, fist-fighting badass. And it's not like Han Solo's a pushover. But he is not the guy to to match blows with most of the people in the Star Wars universe. No, he he is a guy who runs for the blaster, takes cover, and finds a way out. And the way he conducts himself in this is just perfect Han Solo. It is exactly what I would expect from this character in this fight. Anyways, Kira ends up killing Dryden. They're about to bail, and she's like, hold on. I'm going to bag all these jewels. I'm going to get all this shit. We're going to use that, and we're going to finally go make a life for ourselves. And Han's like, cool. I'm going to go catch up with Beckett. And so they split up. And now Kira takes a ring off of Dryden's finger and accesses a computer at his desk. And a hologram shows up in a man in a, in a long black hood robes and hood and you may think that you know where i'm going with this if you haven't seen the movie but she's talking to him blah 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 and he's like what about this like you know the we're gonna end up raising this i'm i'm on dothamir and you hear dothamir and if you're a big enough star wars fan you know what the fuck that is and then he stands up and he takes his hood down and it is darth fucking maul Boom! Now, like I said, most of this movie, like, cut and dry, you could see, like, you know, this is A, this is B, this is how we're gonna get there, these little things are gonna be in between, maybe maybe some stuff you wouldn't have predicted right offhand, but this, this fucking just, what, huh, where the fuck did that come from? And I think the thing I love the most about this is that not only is it Ray Park in costume, in makeup, but it's also Sam Witwer playing the voice of Darth Maul. The guy who's been playing Darth Maul in the Clone Wars and, and Rebels. Because if you didn't know, Darth Maul does survive the Phantom Menace. And you do end up seeing him in the TV shows and stuff since. And so that, that perfectly explains why he's back, if you, if you didn't know all that. And so it turns out Kira's been working for this dude this whole time. And then we cut back to the fucking beach. It, yeah, I guess it's a beach. I don't know. There, there's a sea there. There's sand. Whatever. And Beckett, Beckett's making his getaway. And there's Han Solo right over a ridge. He's like, oh, I'm caught up with you, blah, blah, blah. They're having a bit of a back and forth. And Woody Harrelson's about to drop some more knowledge on him. But before he can even finish the sentence, Han shoots first. At least establishing that at one point in time, Han did shoot first. Whether you count the head bob thing in A New Hope or not. And Beckett says something to the effect of, like, shouldn't trust anyone or something like that again. He says that all throughout the film. And then you see Dryden's ship pick up off of a cliff and fly off. And now Han's realized Kira just bailed on him. Because Lando did the same thing earlier. I forgot to mention that. Lando, while they're talking to the rebel people, uh, he bails. When he's just supposed to be waiting on his cut. Because his ship's all fucked up. He do not want anything to do with this anymore. And he gets the hell out of there. So after we see Kira take off in the big tower ship, we cut to a moment later down the road where Han has caught up with Lando. And Lando thinks it's going to be a bit of an altercation here. And then they pull the reverse Empire Strikes Back. Where Han smiles and he brings him in close. Embraces him in a hand clasp and a hug. Because he noticed the fucking thing on Lando's wrist. Which he used to cheat 
in the Sebek game earlier in the film. And he takes cards out of it. And they sit down and they have another game. He's like, let's do this again for our ships, blah, blah, blah. This time Han wins. They take the fucking Falcon, go into hyperspace, credits hit. Bum, that's awful. Sorry about that. And that is our movie. And wow. Just just going through it again, sitting here giving you my awful telltale version of it. Uh, fuck, yes, I am going to go see this movie again. I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if I enjoyed it more than Rogue One yet. I think I'm going to have to have multiple viewings to make that decision. But I enjoyed Rogue One a whole lot. And Rogue One was a very different Star Wars film. As is this. This movie kind of plays out like a 70s heist film in the cinematography in just the events that go down, the way that the characters interact, the the character archetypes themselves. It, it just, it all really meshes well. And the best thing is, is that I do think we're going to get a sequel from this. Because at the very end of the film, Han brings up this gangster job on Tatooine again. Like the thing that... Beckett was talking about earlier there's the thing with Darth Maul and like oh man how does this whole thing because in the comics and I think in in the TV shows Darth Maul has this whole crime syndicate that all these other factions fall under and he runs this whole thing so there's a possibility we will see that and I'm all for it I was so complacent with this film in the beginning. I was so apathetic. I couldn't have cared less. It wasn't that I didn't want it. It was just I didn't care. And now here I am full in telling you, you gotta see this thing. You gotta see it. Go give them your money so that they will make the sequel. You will be happy with it. At least, at the very least, you will be happy with it. You'll think that was okay. At the very least. You know, you're not gonna hate it. How could you hate it? No, you people are always hating Star Wars. I don't know. If you're listening this far, you probably don't, and you're with me in this camp. Or you're just trying to find fuel for the fire, which you can leave down in the comments below. Guys, like this episode if you liked it. Subscribe if you loved it. Don't forget to, again, leave comments down below. Like it, share, all that stuff. Check out our social medias. My name is Vincent Herman, Vin the Human, and it is time to cue that outro music from a galaxy far, far away.